Before we get stuck into um, today's reading and what might be some more of the challenging parts of um, the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to remind us of, of that beginning bit from Matthew chapter 5, because it starts with the Beatitudes, doesn't it? It starts with all of these ways that God blesses and God wants to bless us. And that's really important before we get onto some of these uh, more difficult, uh, maybe, things, that we start from a position of being people who are deeply loved, deeply valued by God. And from there, we are told to go and be salt and go and be light. And we need to remember that it goes this way around. We start from being loved by God, and therefore we act, therefore we behave, therefore we do what God is calling us to do. It's not the other way around, is it? We don't behave to earn God's love. We start from that position that God loves each one of us, and we have a response to that love to make. But in today's reading, it's made really clear to us that actually our actions and our behavior really do matter. They don't just matter to God, but they matter to each one of us individually, and they matter to our community, they matter to our society, they matter to the world in which we live, because our actions speak loudly. Our actions tell the world what we value, who we value, what we believe, what is actually important to us. Our actions do matter. And the world around us doesn't really um, communicate that message very strongly. Actually, the world around us often says to us that um, freedom of um, expression is what matters. Do what you want, when you want, what feels good to you. That's what should motivate you. You shouldn't have any um, holds barred. You, could, you, you can be free to do exactly what you want. But Jesus is teaching that actually the world isn't, it shouldn't be driven by individualism and autonomy and just complete independence. Because we live in a community, we live in a society where we are connected to one another and where we are uh, interdependent on each other. So how we behave really does matter and it does have consequences. If we're going to exist well, if we're going to do community well, and this is probably more important now than ever before, then actually these things do make a difference and we need to appreciate that. So today we are kicking off by thinking about anger, and yes, I'm excited to be preaching on that, thank you Paul. And I just want to start by saying that um, obviously there is, it's a big subject, and I can't say everything in 15 minutes that there could be to say about anger, but whether we like it or not, anger is a part of all of our lives, and each one of our lives. Now, you might be sitting here this morning thinking, the person next to me is the calmest person I know. Anger is definitely not a factor for them. You can have a look around and see, oh yeah, that person's quite a calm person or not. And um, you may be right in some level, but actually even that calm person sitting next to you, or you yourself if you feel that you are a calm person, um, you do deal with anger. Everyone deals with anger. Now we might suppress anger, we might bury it deep, deep down. Some of us do that, don't we? 
Or we might um, divert our anger and we do other things instead. We, um, we take action, we, get in, we do lots and lots of things to deal with our anger. Maybe some of us um, get really emotional when we're angry and that's the way that we express our anger. Some of us may have actually come up with some really good strategies for dealing with our anger, but anger is a factor in all of our lives. It's, what makes, it's part of what makes us human. Now, it might be anger in, in a variety of different ways. We've heard already this morning that there's lots going on in our world that can make us angry. It might be, um, I don't know, one of the common things I found in Guildford since I lived here is the potential for road rage. Um, that can make us angry. Anyone relate to that? A bit of, bit of road rage on a wet five o'clock evening when you want to get home. It might be um, anger over political ridiculousness, as, however you perceive that. It might be anger over being treated badly by family or friends, being overlooked, being marginalized, being forgotten about. It might be anger over injustice. It might be anger over inequality. I don't know what it is for you. But because... Um, Anger is part of what it means to be human. We need to think about this quite carefully. And I'm sure a lot of us have told other people in the past, even Jesus got angry. It's okay to be angry. Um, there's nothing intrinsically evil or wrong or bad about anger in itself. Jesus got angry. We say that quite a lot. But actually, we don't necessarily appreciate that anger in itself isn't the problem. Anger in itself isn't bad. We're often kind of, we're trying to be good people, aren't we? We're trying to um, be nice and kind, and so therefore anger, no, 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 we need to stay away from anger, it's wrong. And maybe that's why we find it so difficult to express at times, because we have this attitude that anger is bad in itself. Anger is not in itself the problem. The issue is what we do with it. And that's the issue that Jesus, I think, is addressing in this passage in Matthew, um, Matthew 5. He isn't concerned so much with anger itself, but he's concerned with the potential that anger has for destroying relationships in particular. If we look at verse 22, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be judged. He's saying, if you are angry with someone else, it's not the anger, it's where it's directed, with a brother or sister. That's what Jesus took issue with. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure that there are plenty of times, I know for me, true, this is true, when you have a bad day at work and you get home and you lash out at your loved ones. Don't we? we? We do this so often, don't we? We lash out our loved ones, or we um, maybe someone's done something to upset us um, or hurt us, and we punish them. Um, we we tar their whole character. You always do this. You never do that. Actually, they did one thing wrong that day, but everything they've done is now terrible, and they are an awful human being. And we get into that thing where one single instance becomes this complete character assassination. I know I've been guilty of that kind of thing. And I also know that the argument that follows from that kind of comment never goes well, does it? It never ends well. Now, for some of us, we express hot anger 
I don't know if that's you, you express hot anger. We lash out, we get um, very aggressive, very confrontational. Everyone knows when we're angry and we, we might bully, we might shout, we're going to be on the attack. That might be some of us. Perhaps more of us, actually, we express cold anger. We look at the people who express their hot anger and we think, what terrible people they are. We would never do something like that. We express cold anger. We get passive-aggressive instead. We are, um, underneath the surface, we are fuming, we are raging, we are full of this hot energy. But if people ask us how we are, we're fine, absolutely fine but we're being snide, we are being passive-aggressive, we are being mean, we are thinking horrible thoughts. There's hot anger, there's cold anger. Neither of them are productive, I don't think, and neither of them are the Jesus way. And the thing about anger is um, it so quickly gets out of control, doesn't it? It so quickly turns when, in the heat of the moment, we say something we didn't mean. We say something that's not true. Or we do something, and we see this so often played out, don't we? People do things when they're angry that are completely out of character. And Jesus knows about this. Jesus knows how dangerous anger can be. He might not have known that actually it's because anger releases the, the chemical um, hormone cortisol in the brain. And co- what cortisol does is it, um, it stops us being able to see nuances in situations. It stops us being able to gather lots of information. Cortisol is that, that primal uh, human um, hormone that that makes us just take action. We need to survive. We're not going to think about lots of things. We're just going to act. We're just going to do something, and we're going to be immediate. We're not going to think about the consequences. And we've needed that um, as humans to survive, but actually, that can be quite dangerous, can't it? Because we can lose perspective, and we can lose the ability to actually think properly, to think about how the other person might uh, feel. We forget all about empathy when we're really, really angry. We become very black and white. We become very narrow-minded. But Jesus calls us not to sink to the lowest common denominator when we're angry, not to take it out on other people. Verse 25, he basically is saying, "If if you do this, actually, things won't go well for either party. You're going to end up in this kind of tit-for-tat situation um, and no one will be happy. So don't do that. Don't sink to the lowest common denominator. So instead, what are we to do? We've thought a little bit about anger. What are we to do when we get angry? How can we get angry the right way? How can we use anger to become better and not worse people? That's a real challenge, isn't it? Well, I want um, us to look this morning at Jesus and what he did. And there's a couple of things I want to draw our attention to. So first of all, what did Jesus do when he got angry? He, I believe, he looked at the bigger picture. And that, again, with that cortisol flaming around, is very difficult to do, but that's what Jesus did. If we think for a second, who did Jesus most often get angry with in the New Testament? probably know. It was was the scribes, it was the Pharisees, it was the religious leaders, it was the hypocrites, wasn't it? The people who would say one thing and do another, or the people who would, they would try and trap Jesus, 
There's so many um, examples of when they're trying to trick Jesus by getting him to choose between people and observing the law. Is he going to care for one person over the demands of scripture? And just as an example of this, let's look at Mark chapter three. I think it should appear on the screen if we've got the words for that. So Mark chapter three, um, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's, um, have you got that joy? I think it's, no, don't worry, I will read it to us anyway. So this is, this is from the beginning of Mark 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, the religious leaders, were looking for a re- reason to accuse Jesus. And so they watched, close, watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed to their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So what does Jesus do in the face of anger? What does Jesus do when he's confronting that within himself? He heals. He looks at the bigger picture. He has a group of people in front of him trying to wind him up, trying to catch him out, looking for ways to discredit and dismiss him. And I'm sure we've all been in similar situations in our own lives in little ways, maybe. But what does Jesus do in that situation? He looks around. He sees what's really going on here. And he chooses to heal and to restore. And perhaps for us, when we're really angry, we can learn to do the same. Jesus is able to see the humanity in front of him. And we need to follow and do likewise, whether that's the person who's treating us really badly in that moment, who has actually um, got a lot of underlying hurt and pain in their life, Or maybe it's a situation as a whole that we're facing that again is making us angry. Well, actually, there's a huge amount of brokenness and despair. And instead of adding to it, can we use the energy that comes from being angry? Because it does cause a lot of energy to rise up in us. Can we use that energy as a catalyst um, for acting in a way that brings healing and wholeness? That's what Jesus did. Anger so often causes us to dehumanize. But like Jesus, let's use it to rehumanize and to choose empathy. And Paul reminds us um, in his writings that our enemy isn't other people. Even when it feels like it, our enemy isn't other people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and the powers. that we're, These are the things we're fighting. Let's not make other people the enemy. And the second thing I think we can learn from Jesus' way of dealing with anger is how he turns it into an opportunity to champion justice. In, uh, in another occasion, in Luke um, 17, verse 2, Jesus is talking about little children. And he says, If you harm one of these little ones, better for you that a millstone be draped around your neck and you be dropped into the depths of the sea. Pretty strong words, pretty fighting talk there from Jesus. Now, it's hard for us to imagine um, just how low down the social scale children were in Jesus' day. That's not the world that we live in. But 
in the ancient hierarchy, it was father first, mother second, children right at the bottom. They were treated at times horrifically with no rights, and they were property. But Jesus flips this on its head. Jesus flips this hierarchy. He's always putting children, and he's putting uh, with them the outcast, the dispossessed, the marginalized. He's always putting those people at the top, at, at the middle. They are the ones who are important to him because Jesus is always championing justice. He looks at the status quo and says, no, that's not the right way. That's not my way. That's not God's way. And you know, it's been said that um, people who um, have lost their ability to get angry have lost hope. Because we get angry when something that we love is threatened. We see this with Jesus, don't we? When truth and mercy and justice, when those things are threatened, Jesus gets angry. But what about us? When we actually think about it, what actually are the things that make us angry? I know I feel angry at times when I've been overlooked, when I feel I've been taken advantage of, when I feel like I have to pay more than I should for something, and I've been messed around. And all of these are um, <clears throat> examples. All these examples are about me. They're about my pride, my status, my ego. Those are the things that I want to protect. Those are the things I'm willing to get angry over. But you know, God loves me. God loves each one of us more than I could ever know, more than we could ever know. And we don't need to get so worked up in the name of self-preservation. God's already championing me and each one of us. So instead, we can be free to get angry about things like injustice. We can get angry instead about people trafficking. We can get angry about environmental de uh, destruction, about disease, about sickness, about war, about terrorism, about loneliness. Those are the things I think we're called to actually get angry about and champion justice instead of self-preservation. And I need to do work on this area. I know that I do, and I'm sure that's true for many of us here today. I need to do work on this area of my life. I need to get perspective. What should make me angry? What does make me angry? And when I feel it bubbling up, at times, I just need to take a break. I need to walk away. I need to get some fresh air, have a good night's sleep, and then wake up the next morning asking for God's mercy in dealing with the challenges of that day and asking for his Holy Spirit to guide me in terms of where I should put my emotional energy and how I should deal with this whole issue of anger.